We read from verse 13. He speaks of giving thanks to the Father in verse 12. And then who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image <coughs> of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. <clears throat> and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in his body, in the body of his flesh, through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the, uh, <clears throat> of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect, in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And we give thanks to God for the, these readings of his infallible and inerrant word. Now we continue on from this morning. <clears throat> and Paul speaks in verse 23, about the gospel that was being preached to the very ends of the earth and of which he had been made a minister. 
Uh, it says if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. There are very few personal references in this letter. In some, some of his letters, Paul speaks more about his, himself. In this letter, there is very little that he speaks about himself. But here, Paul does refer to himself, but he uses two words. Two words to describe not so much himself, but the ministry that he is exercising. And he uses two words that characterize the whole of his ministry. And those two words are suffering and rejoicing. Suffering and rejoicing. That was why I read that, that long passage in Second Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul speaks of his own sufferings. And it is significant that the first word in this section is the word now. Paul was writing during a period of imprisonment when he was actually suffering discomfort and pain. Yet he was able to write that he rejoiced in suffering now. Now, it's easy to talk about suffering when we're not suffering. It's easy to say that Christians should be able to suffer and should be able to rejoice in suffering. And that is fine when everything is going well. But Paul was able to say that at a time when he was actually suffering physical and probably mental pain as he was imprisoned. And so Paul here is writing about his ministry and he's describing what the ministry is all about. And this is not just the ministry of ministers. This, he is describing the ministry that all believers have to exercise. We want to look at three, uh, three particular things here. The first thing that we look at is true ministry is identification. True, must, uh, true ministry is identification. And it's, first of all, identification with Christ in suffering. Listen to what he says. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now there is some difficulty about what the words fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. There is some difficulty in interpreting those words. Now, obviously, it does not mean 
that there was anything lacking in the value of the sufferings that Christ undertook for his people. Neither does it mean that any good works or suffering can be added to the merits of Christ. We know that when the Lord Jesus Christ <coughs> died on the cross, he said, it is finished. There is nothing more to be done. Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. For confirmation of that statement. Hebrews and chapter 10 and verses 11 to 14. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Nothing can be added to the merits of Christ. Nothing can be added to the suffering of Christ. So what is, being, what is meant here when Paul says that, that uh, we are to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? The meaning is rather, first of all, that the sufferings of the believer, whatever they may happen to be, the sufferings of the believer are a part of the sufferings of Christ. Have a look at the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John and chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 18. I'm sorry, it looks as though I have a wrong verse there. I'm sorry. Uh, I thought it was verse 18. The sufferings of the believer are a part of the sufferings of Christ. Think about it this way. The church is the body of Christ, so described in the scripture. And the body of Christ suffers in all sorts of different ways. And so all that is a part of the sufferings of Christ. Why do believers suffer? They suffer because they are the body of Christ. They suffer because they embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior. And many of the sufferings that Christians endure come to them solely because they are a part of the body of Christ. So in that sense, we can say that the sufferings of the believer are part of the sufferings of Christ, and that means that Christ suffers with us. Christ suffers 
when we suffer because we are his body. But there's another way in which the believer is to, is to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The enemies of Christ, the enemies of the church, are never satisfied. And as they can no longer afflict him, they persecute his people instead. You remember when, uh, when Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus and he sees this light, he hears the voice and the voice says, why do you persecute me? Now, Paul was persecuting or Saul was persecuting Christians. He was going from place to place and he was capturing Christians, taking them prisoner, putting them in jail. And yet the voice from heaven says, why do you persecute me? The voice of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to Saul of Tarsus. And the enemies of Christ are never satisfied. And so the suffering that comes to the people of God is because they can no longer persecute Christ, they can no longer afflict him, so instead they inflict, they, they afflict his people. And the suffering that was being endured was for the good of the church, especially in the context of Paul's ministry of evangelization. The sufferings of believers, therefore, are a part of the sufferings of Christ. And the believer is identified with Christ in suffering. But not only so. True ministry is identification, identification with Christ in suffering, but also identification with Christ in service. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ was the servant of God, so was Paul in the calling that he received from God. Paul did what he did because he was serving Christ. And Christ said that he didn't come to do his own will, but he came to do the will of his Father who sent him. So in that sense, the Lord Jesus Christ was the servant of his Father, and he came in service. And the believer, the Christian, the Christian minister, the Christian witness, is to be identified with Christ in service. Just as Christ was the servant of God, so was Paul in the calling that he received from God. Why did he do what he did? He did because he was the servant of God. He was the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should see our ministry, whatever that may be, as being in service to Christ. We are the slaves of Christ, the bond servants of Christ. We are to do his will and purpose. So there is identification with Christ in suffering. There is identification with Christ in service. And there is identification with Christ in glory. To know Christ 
in you is the only hope of glory. All other expectation, all other hopes for everlasting glory are doomed to failure. It is only as a person experiences in this life the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ within that he can have the assurance of life everlasting in the presence of God. Identification with Christ on earth is the guarantee of identification in glory. So the believer is to be identified with Christ. Sometimes believers become upset when they suffer for the cause of Christ. We think it's not fair. It's not fair when people rebuke us. It's not fair when people laugh at us. It's not fair when we seek to uphold biblical righteousness and we get into trouble for it. And that will come more and more in the future. The more you seek to uphold biblical righteousness, the more you will be mocked, the more you will be castigated, the more you will suffer for it. Even such a thing as saying that there are only two genders, men and women, even to say that could cause you to lose your job. Even that could cause you to suffer. And that's without actually presenting the gospel to them. Simply to state what is a normal biological fact. But such is the corrupt world in which we live that even something like that could cause a Christian to lose his job. And if you begin to, to speak the gospel to men and women in the workplace, if you seek to live for Christ in school, at university, in your job, wherever it may happen to be, you open yourself up to being persecuted, to being challenged, to suffering, for Christ. But true ministry, and ministry in the broadest sense of the word, I, I'm not just speaking about someone who preaches the word, we all as Christians are to minister. We are to show forth the glories of Christ. That's our task, wherever that might be. True ministry is identification. You might not want to suffer, but true identification and true ministry is identification with Christ in suffering. Not if we suffer for doing wrong, if we suffer for being a Christian, if we suffer for following Christ and serving Christ and speaking for Christ. Identification with suffering but identification with Christ in service. 
Do men and women take notice of us that we have been with Jesus? Are we kind and gracious and helpful? Not because it's our nature, but because we're serving Christ. Do we identify with Christ in service? Can we be described as servants of Christ? We should be. And if we hope for that identification with Christ in glory, there will be no identification with Christ in glory if there is not identification with Christ here and now. If we are not identified with Christ now, then we shall not be in glory. So true ministry is identification. But secondly, true ministry is inspiration. Paul had spoken of the message that had been preached throughout the whole earth to Jew and Gentile alike. This was the true mystery of God in contrast to the spurious mysteries of the false teachers. The false teachers loved to talk about all the mysteries that they were, that all the mysteries that they could, they could get into if only they followed what the false teachers said. But Paul speaks of the true mystery of God. And Paul now was, was in no doubt about the theme of the Christian ministry. You see, he says, it's a message about a person. It's not a system of doctrine. He said to these Colossian Christians, listen, true ministry, the ministry that I'm involved in, is not about a series of doctrines. It's not an outlining of moral principles. It is a setting forth of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's emphasis. And if we are to be involved in ministry, a ministry that is an inspired ministry because it comes from God, and when we use the word inspiration, we're literally meaning expiration because it means the breathing out of God in the word. So true ministry is setting forth the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It deals with all the types and shadows of the Old Testament, the prophecies that foretold the coming of Christ and his work, the facts of his life, death and resurrection, the salvation that comes through him alone, and the consequences of his work in the lives of men and women. That's what the message is all about. It's about a person. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message that is to be proclaimed, and Paul says that in this section. The facts about the Lord Jesus Christ are not points for debate, and discussion. 
to be considered alongside the lives and teachings of other religious leaders. They are facts that are to be declared as a herald declares the word of the one who sent him. Alexander McLaren says this, a messenger's virtue is to say exactly what he has been told and to say it in such a way that the people to whom he has to carry it cannot but hear and understand it. It's a message that is to be proclaimed. This is a ministry of inspiration. It comes from the inspired word. And this is what we take to men and women. We don't take our own opinions. We don't take our own closely held doctrines. We take what the word of God says. This is what Paul did. Paul preached Christ. He was a highly intelligent man. He was a teacher. But Paul declared Christ. And that's what we are to do. It is a message about a person. It's a message that's to be proclaimed. And it's a common message. Paul wants the believers to know that the message that he preached was not just his, but it was the same one proclaimed by all the apostles and other ministers of the gospel. It's a common message. It's a message that's preached here. It's a message that's preached in China. It's a message that is preached throughout the whole wide world. There is one message, one gospel. There are many so-called truths, but only Christ who is the truth. Paul knew and warned the church that if anybody preached any other gospel other than the one he proclaimed, that person would be cursed by God. Galatians 1 and verse 8. So Paul's message, Paul's ministry was a ministry of identification with Christ in suffering, with Christ in service, with Christ in glory. It's a, mes it's a message of inspiration. It's not a message that comes from the fertile imagination of men, but it comes from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's a message about a person it's a message that is to be proclaimed and it is a common message. It's one message throughout the whole wide world. There's not a different message for Ireland, a different message for Scotland, a different message for the United States. There is one message and it's this message. And then true ministry is instruction. After the Apostle Paul had spoken to the Colossians about the theme of the Christian ministry, he goes on to speak to them about the methods that were to be used in this message, in this ministry, and the glorious objective that it had. 
There are two concepts that Paul has here. The two concepts of teaching and admonishing are very often linked in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We could look at Romans 15, Second uh, uh, Corinthians 8, and so on. There are many places where these two ideas are linked. For Paul, there could be no teaching that was not applied. There was no teaching that was not applied. The presentation of the gospel of Christ is not so that men and women might become cleverer. It's not so that they may have more biblical knowledge. The message that is proclaimed is to be applied to the heart and the life of every individual believer and everyone who hears the message. When the gospel is proclaimed, what is its message for the unbeliever? Repent and be saved. That's the message to the unbeliever. And if the unbeliever does not get that message, then the message has not been taught properly and it has not been applied properly. For the believer, when the gospel message, when there is teaching from the pulpit, every time we hear the word of God, when it is properly proclaimed and applied, we should get some teaching for our own personal lives out of it. There's no point in leaving a building and saying, ah, that was a good message, if it doesn't have any impact on your life tomorrow. You see, Paul taught teaching and admonishing. There could never be teaching that was not applied. Neither could there be admonition that was not rooted and grounded in biblical doctrine. The truth is to be proclaimed and the truth is to be applied. And sometimes that's not very comfortable. Suppose the preacher is preaching about sin and about particular sin and it goes straight to your heart. It's like a dart that goes into your heart. You don't like it because it's painful but that's what the gospel message should do. The preaching of the gospel is both educational in that it teaches men and women the truth about God, the truth about man, the truth about sin, the truth about Christ. So it is educational, but it is also personal and practical in that it applies the truth of the gospel to the conscience. And it specifies the duties imposed upon men by that truth. You see, in the church, 
A husband should learn from the scriptures how he is to treat his wife. A wife is to learn from the word of God how she is to be submissive to her own husband. Children are taught how they are to obey their parents in the Lord. Parents are taught in the word of God how they are not to frustrate their children, but to deal with them kindly and to deal with them justly. Everything that the believer needs is taught in the word of God. And one of the marks of a truly gospel ministry is the combination of the clear teaching of Bible truth and the faithful application of that truth to the hearers. The glorious objective of the preaching of the gospel, and not just the preaching of the gospel, but the spreading of the word, is to bring men and women and boys and girls into a relationship of love with the Almighty God through the Lord Jesus Christ. A person can only really be described as a truly whole person when he is presented in perfect holiness before the throne of the living and true God. And that's what Paul says. He wants to present us, he wants to present God's people to Christ, to God in holiness and righteousness. Through the preaching of the word, through the witness of the word, those who believe are brought into a new relationship with God through Christ. Through the word, the same word, they are being constantly sanctified until that day when they will be transformed into the very likeness of Christ. That's the ministry of which Paul was speaking. No wonder then that Paul was prepared to toil and labor to achieve this glorious end, recognizing that the power to undertake it comes alone from God. The ministry, the ministry in which not only ministers are engaged in, but the ministry in which every believer should be involved in, is a ministry of identification. Identification with Christ in suffering. Identification with Christ in service. Identification with Christ in glory. True ministry, both from the pulpit and from the lives of believers, is inspiration because it is based on the inspired word of God. It is a message about a person. It's a message that has to be proclaimed. It's a common message wherever we go, wherever we are. It is a ministry of instruction. People need to be instructed about what the word of God requires. What the word of God requires from the unbeliever and what the word of God requires from the believer. And let's remind ourselves, the glorious objective 
of ministering the word is to bring men and women, boys and girls, into a relationship with the almighty God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And to see such a person grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are all, or we all should be, involved in this kind of ministry. Let's examine ourselves to see whether indeed we are sharing in this ministry that Paul is speaking of. Amen.